Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. We've started a new series called Temples. And in the first message, Ethan Lovelace communicated the idea that things in our life are not neutral. We are continually being pulled into worship. We know where our worship is focused, not so much by what we think or believe. We often talk in those terms, I believe this, or I am convinced about this. But really, we're moved more by what we love and what we develop our habits around. Now, these habits are similar to what we call in the church liturgies. Liturgies are practices that point our affections and our attention towards the object of our worship. So in our case, as followers of Christ, we have liturgies within the church, songs, communion, prayer, different types of liturgies that focus our attention both in the way that we function as a community, but also in the way that we pursue Christ. These practices show up in the culture as well. And again, the idea is that we practice these liturgies out of what we love in our heart, not so much what we think. In fact, this was a, a point made in last week's message. Our orientation to the world is shaped from the heart up more than the head down. In other words, we love something and then shape our thinking and actions around it and how to include it into our lives more than we think or decide about something and then choose to love it. If you don't believe me, think about one of the most common things that we do in life, which is our food choices. Whenever we talk about dieting, one of the things we know in our mind, we know that we know that we know that eating healthy and some type of activity and exercise to get our heart rate going, this is one of the best things we can do to control weight and improve our overall health. And so we, we know this with our mind, but just because we know it doesn't mean we actually do it. How many of us, I'll raise my hand, how many of us make our food choices and our activity choices based on what we love, what brings us comfort, what we enjoy versus what we know to be true of what is healthy for us and what's best for us. So again, we choose our food and activity around our love, our heart, more than our head oftentimes. Jesus addressed this same idea. This isn't just modern psychology. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Almost saying the exact same thing. It's as though Jesus knows best of where our affections and our liturgies come from. They come out of our heart. In other words, what you love is going to be visibly represented by uh, more than what you think about. What you think about may not even show up in your life, but what you love, it's going to show up in your time, your attention, and again, what we would call liturgies. Jesus' uh, solution to this is he says, change what you're storing up. Don't store up 
treasures here on earth where it gets destroyed, store up the things that matter most in the kingdom of heaven. So instead of comfort, pleasure, and self-satisfaction, store up for yourself the values of the kingdom. Store up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and yes, self-control <laughs> always seems to make its way in there. Pursue the kingdom and comfort, pleasure, and satisfaction through the kingdom will follow. It's not that you won't receive those things. It's that those are not the pursuit, the things to put your affections towards. The things to put your affections towards are the things of the kingdom, and God will provide a deep satisfaction, a pleasure in the things he provides. He'll provide a joy. He'll provide a comfort in him and not through the things of this earth. Well, that would be really easy for us to do if there weren't other things at work in opposition to this idea. If we just said, okay, I'm just going to change my affections and change my liturgies towards things that orient me to the kingdom of God, that'd be so easy. But there are also things in this world that are craving our worship. We're faced with these things on a regular basis. One is demonic forces. So this is the idea that the devil made me do it. There really are dark influences upon the earth that seek to pull worship away from God and decrease the worship that he gets and so that these principalities and powers, they get that attention. They get that worship instead of God himself. They are truly at work and we believe that this is a, a real um, truth of, of what's happening in our world. There are dark principalities and powers at work. So that's one aspect or, or one uh, thing that's at work right now, pulling us away from our worship to God. The second, we might not think as quite as insidious, but it's probably actually more at work than what we care to think about, and that is our self-worship. Most of us experience this even more powerfully at work than the demonic forces trying to entice us. We're led astray by our own appetites and our own desires. We could say the devil made me do it, but really the devil doesn't even have to work that hard because just by our own appetites and desires, we allow ourselves to get focused on worshiping other things, namely ourselves and our own self-satisfaction rather than God himself. I willingly at times create liturgies in my life that make me the center of worship rather than God the center of worship. And this is problematic. So we have dark forces, demonic forces at work, and we have ourselves, we have self-worship that's also at work. So if we go back to this earlier point, we know that this is true because we see it in the liturgies within our culture. We don't just have places to worship God. We don't have just churches that focus on Jesus Christ in our culture. We have many different temples in our culture that invite us to worship at the feet of demonic forces. We have cultures at work that invite us to worship at the feet of ourselves and, and experience self-satisfaction. And this is really where this message is going to focus our attention. What habits or liturgies does the culture invite us to participate in? And how are we doing at resisting the invitation to bow at their altars? How are you doing? How am I doing at standing up and recognizing these temples of worship that lead us away from our worship of the one true God, the one Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, let's pray. And we'll look more deeply at this idea after we invite the Holy Spirit to really just guide our hearts and our thinking and our affections at this time. 
We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you so much for this time where we can invite you, Holy Spirit, to transform us from the inside out. And it's really where it takes, Lord, that you would take hold of our heart and help us to see where we have misplaced our affections. And in doing so, we have misplaced our worship. We have set up altars at different places, God, that you would, uh, one, convict us, and we thank you. What a gift that is, Holy Spirit, that you do convict us, and you don't just let us go down a wayward path unhindered, but you do put up roadblocks. You do put up warnings to us so that we might change, we might repent and be closer to you. And so we pray that in this message, that's part of what would happen. Uh, help us put down our defenses, um, our, our reasoning of the choices that we make, and just simply be open to you having the reign and the opportunity to speak into our lives freely as you choose. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, as I talk about cultural liturgies in this message, I, I want to begin by stating an assumption that I'm making. And, and the first is one really large assumption about the world that we as humans have created. And I'm not talking about God's created order. I'm not talking about planets and stars, nature, people you and I created in his image. Those, that's God's work. That's what he's created. I'm talking about the world that humanity has put together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking more specifically even about our American culture and what it's oriented around since that's the waters in which we swim. Uh, this message you know, by vast majority is going to be viewed by uh, those within the American culture. And so we, we have a, a, a culture, we, ha we have a, um, an environment in which we are both raised up in and in which we live in. And so Jesus says that our life liturgy should point us to the kingdom. But because the kingdom of God is of heaven and not of this world, I'm working from this assumption that we won't get the kingdom values and we won't get the kingdom life by following the structure, systems, and liturgies of this world to get to heaven. And what I mean by that, and, and I'm treading on, uh, trying to tread softly here, is what I mean by that is the world systems, the world's uh, approach to life, which we then categorize as socialism, communism, and in America, capitalism, uh, and, and systems of government, democracy, and uh, totalitarianism and other places, all of these systems aren't actually the kingdom. And so for some of you, you'll say, yeah, of course, and you'll nod your head. Others of you, it feels a little bit of an affront or a confrontation that somehow I don't love, we don't love America or we don't love our country. But the reality is what I said before is the kingdom of God is of heaven and the systems that we create, that mankind has created on this earth, don't actually uh, contain or they are not able to reflect appropriately the kingdom of heaven. They reappropriate and they reflect the kingdoms of this world, which scripture refers to as Babylon, as a kind of a big blanket umbrella statement. And so because the kingdom of heaven is not of this world, I'm working from this assumption that we don't get to the kingdom by following these structure systems and liturgies. Now I can say this because the nature of worship is that it protects that which is being worshiped and it does not allow it to be challenged, but instead it demands allegiance. 
So even now, as I'm talking about one of the waters in which we as American Christians swim in is the water of capitalism. Uh, that's a founding principle. It's a founding belief and way of functioning within our culture. And as, as I say that this isn't a kingdom value, I know many people will just feel this kind of stiffen up. And that's because worship demands allegiance. And so whenever something's confronted, there feels this uh, sense of we're changing allegiances at times. And, and so this is part of that idea that uh, we're, we're putting forward is that when we talk about our liturgies, we've been raised, we've been grown up, and we've been enculturated in a way to worship the things that are around us. And when we come to Christ, and this is fundamental, this is so powerful, is that when we come to Christ, those allegiances change to pointing to the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus talked about. And while we still function within a system that is man-made here on earth, our true allegiance and worship needs to be redirected to the kingdom of heaven. So understand that when we're talking about liturgies, we're not pinning one system against another. We're saying that everything but the worship of Jesus and life in the kingdom falls short of that goal. So my critique of capitalism isn't saying that socialism is better or communism is better. It's saying that any one of these systems falls short of the kingdom of God. And our worship and our focus and our liturgy should orient us to the kingdom and not to a particular liturgy of a system here on earth. So I know I'm repeating this over, but I feel like it's really important because there exists, even within the church, a very strong emotions and feelings that if we speak out about a liturgy that's focused on capitalism, we're somehow diminishing or we're, we're uh, not not in favor of our, we don't love our country, or we're suggesting that there's other systems that are better. Um, in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ, what we're saying is there is one better system. It's the kingdom of God, <laughs> and it's the way of Jesus, which is the way, and Jesus described it as that way. And so what we're understanding is this big assumption is that we have been swimming in this uh, system of capitalism for my entire life, many of you, unless you immigrated to the United States at some point in your life, you grew up with this way of viewing the world and you developed liturgies and you were raised in a way of engaging the culture around these particular cultural liturgies. So when we understand that, and that's important that we have that kind of view where we draw back and we say, in what, in what waters have I been swimming? In what liturgies have I been practicing my whole life and have been brought up in? We understand that one of the biggest drivers of our culture is life without limits. I can make as much money as I want. I can learn whatever I want. I can live where I want to live. I can drive the car I want to drive. I can eat as much food as I want to eat. I can watch whatever entertainment I want to watch. I can participate in whatever activities I want to participate in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is the, the liturgy. This is the philosophy, the, the upbringing of, of, of this idea of a capitalism uh, environment is that there is a life without limits. I can achieve, accomplish, and own and possess whatever I want, and it's mine, and nobody else should have influence into that, and nobody else should be able to say anything about that. Now, a life without limits is a significant part of the dream that we are raised in. 
Uh, you can be whoever you want to be. You can accomplish, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and there are no limits on your life. Again, it's not a critique of this against some other human form of government or, or economic system. It is a critique of this against the kingdom of God. So it stands to reason then so much of our culture is set up to cause us to aim our hearts at having everything we want. Everything, the liturgies that you and I were raised in are to not have boundaries in our wants. But we actually define, hear this, we actually define success by getting whatever we want. I want to say that again because that statement has huge implications when you think about your discipleship in Jesus Christ. It is completely contradictory to what Jesus taught. You can actually define success by getting whatever you want. This is the environment, these are the liturgies that have pointed our hearts or who have attempted to point our hearts towards worship of demonic forces and worship of ourself through the entirety of your life that says you can have whatever you want without limits. I think you already can see it in the culture, but let me give you some real clear examples of how this plays itself out in the things in the world around us. Um, some of our temples, in other words, in ways that we worship. One would be shopping centers. And I'm going to frame them in the perspective of what it is that we are being drawn into. So in a shopping center, there's evangelism that takes place. You know some of the best evangelists are for shopping centers? Uh, you have television, you have print, you have celebrities. They all point to the latest trends, the latest fashions, and they remind us that unless we're like them, we're missing out. You, you look at these and it, it's, it, it gives you this picture of people who are excessively wealthy and, and they, they're dressed really well, the latest trends, and it never shows them unsatisfied, does it? <laughs> it always shows them big smiles, they're around people, they have friends, um, you know, there, there's a place where they belong, their images, uh, they're happy with their things, they're fulfilled. Go and shop and you'll feel better about yourself. In fact, so much marketing, if you just take the time to listen, oftentimes you might mute commercials, but if you take time to listen to it, here's one of the most common catchphrases that's listed uh, in marketing and, and the idea around shopping centers or even in, in, in calling us to these liturgies of shopping. This is the catch line, you deserve it. They will tell you over and over again, you get this, you deserve it. Don't compromise, right? Get the best. Excellence is available to you. So these are the evangelism methods for the, the shopping temple. Uh, it, there's community within the shopping temple. Um, there's others who you can go, do, go do this with friends and family, right? It's a great place. Oftentimes when you see images of going in, into shopping places, people aren't just going by themselves. They show them with friends. They, they show them with family members and they're having conversation around. This is a place to belong. Um, you know, it's a, it's a place to connect. It's, 
It's a, a getaway, it's a retreat. There's community here. Get away from your regular habits and go engage in shopping and it's a retreat. It's like a trip, it's, it's getting away from it all as you lose your concern about other things and you involve yourself in shopping. It's a shared experience to feel more deeply connected with others. In fact, they even offer food at so many of these places so that you can break bread and have communion, so to speak, with those at the mall. There's a place to fellowship around the table as well. There's encouragement, right, when you go shopping. Uh, what do the salespeople do? They don't tell you that you look bad in something. <laughs> no, they, they give you all kinds of encouragement. They don't point out your blemishes and failings. They tell you how good something looks on you, how popular that item is. They'll tell you, oh, I love that. In fact, I just bought that last week. You get to be in community with others and you get encouragement. Um, they affirm your decisions. You made the right choice. That's a good purchase. They affirm your decision-making while you're engaged in this liturgy of shopping and in consumerism. The last thing is they affirm your decision by no matter what the cost is, it's worth it, right? How many times do you see, get it now, pay later, put it on a card, four payment plans, six payment plans, you can pay over the next year, two years, 24 month payment plans, right? You're worth it. Get it now, pay later. No cost is too high. Don't put a limit on yourself. Just give into this experience of shopping, this experience of buying something because it's going to make you feel better. And I'm not just talking about clothing. I'm talking about buying outdoor equipment. I'm talking about buying vehicles. I'm talking about buying clothes, yes, but the same pattern is there. The marketing is there, the evangelism, the sense of community uh, is there around it. There's encouragement and then there's uh, affirmation that whatever the cost is, you should pay it. It's not too high of a cost. It's worth whatever you can give to it. Here's another temple that we often find our, into our uh, communities, into our world, and, and it draws us into in our culture is educational institutions, secondary education, universities, colleges, trade schools. Here's the, here's the evangelism that goes out on that. You can accomplish it, no limits. If whatever you learn, you can go out and do it. You can accomplish your goals and be whoever you want to be just by going out and getting more learning. If you have one degree, get a second. Uh, don't put a cap on you know, how much you, you do, go back to school and learn something else. Get a second or even a third degree. Again, the community element, you're not going to be alone in this. You can come together with others. Even if you do it online, you're going to be in a cohort of learners. And so you're going to be in community if you go back to get a degree, if, if you engage in more secondary education. Uh, how about encouragement? The more you know, the more respect you'll have. The more you can accomplish, the more you know, the more you learn, the more degrees you have. So there's encouragement there. Why put a limit around it? Why stop, continue down this pathway of learning more and getting another degree? Again, no cost is too high. Get it now, pay later. Take out a student loan. You know, you may be paying on it for the next 10 years. You may be paying on it for the next 20 years. That's okay, no cost is too high. You're investing in you and it's something that you'll never regret because no cost is too high to obtain this degree, right? It's another temple in our culture. 
So even with our entertainment, we can watch remotely. There's this opportunity, not just have somebody sit next to you, but they can sign on and watch the same show. So there's community in our entertainment as well. The encouragement is to look at the lives of those that we're viewing, emulate what they're saying, what they're doing, how they're living, uh, their words, their actions. And so as we watch entertainment, we get to escape to, into their lives. You get to escape away from what we're experiencing. Again, cost, it's not too high. A small price to be able to escape for that Netflix subscription, for that uh, prime video streaming option, to go to the movie theater, to get out and get away with your buddies for the weekend and whatever materials it costs to go on that trip. Uh, the cost isn't too high for the entertainment or activity. Those tickets didn't cost too much. After all, you deserve it. No price is too high to pay to get the escape. Finally, uh, the financial investments and retirement investments. This is another temple that uh, capitalism and consumerism calls us to live at. And it's this temple that calls our, our practices, right? It's even if we have to sacrifice um, you know, other things, it's worth it if you give yourself to this particular temple of investments and retirement plans. The evangelism, you've lived life at a certain standard. Don't compromise in your latter years. Why should you have to compromise? Why should you have to make sacrifices later on in life? And so that's the evangelism, the persuasive call to, to come to this and, and organize your life around these particular practices. Uh, there's community there. You, you should live at a life equal to others. What if your friends get to go on road trips and they get to do retirement plans and you're stuck at home or you don't get to do things, right? So there's community when you give yourself to this particular uh, liturgy and, and worship of this particular temple. There's encouragement. Again, um, nobody else is going to take care of you. Nobody else is going to look out for you. That's your responsibility. And so the encouragement is you need to make sure that you prioritize this, that this is a key area that you set your heart on and you set your affections on, and that way uh, you organize your life around it and it's going to provide safety and you're not going to have to live with limits. Again, same message at the end, no cost is too high for this. Only you can look out for you. You can have the life you want to live without limits if you're willing to pay the price and no price is too high for that type of security, that type of not having to depend on others in your latter years. Well, having said and, and that and looked at these different liturgies that we have in the culture and ways of worshiping, um, you know, some of you may feel that I'm striking out against shopping and for clothes or going out to eat. Listen, I, I'm really not. All of these things uh, I do at some level. I shop for clothes. I go out to eat. I've, I bought a car. Uh, I have attended university and I actually have a, a two degrees, a bachelor's and a master's. Um, I, I enjoy watching things on TV. I enjoy the outdoors and I have saved some for the future as well. The question that we're bringing up isn't whether we should do any or some of these things or all of these things. The question is how living in the culture that we live in, how has our heart been oriented around structuring our life, the habits we've developed, how much of our life has pointed us towards that way of life versus kingdom life? In other words, 
If my affections and my liturgies point me towards shopping and consumerism more than a way of generosity and trusting God, there's a problem in that. If it orients me to serving myself and finding satisfaction in myself and in my things rather than God, that's problematic. And I need to look deeply at those practices, those habits, because my heart has moved off of Christ and onto something else. The importance of our time together is that we need to be aware of the messages that we're being told and understand if we're believing it. The message, again, is that you can live without limits. If you can buy it, get it. If you can do it, do it. If you want it, work for it. Without asking, is this leading me down a pathway of a capitalistic mindset that reorients my life away from the kingdom? And if we fail to ask the question, most likely we've entered into a worship of self and the way of the world. In, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's still the outcome because our hearts are naturally drawn into our cultural liturgies. Things are not neutral. They are asking for your worship. And so it's either pulling you into worship of things and self or worship of God and Christ and his kingdom. All of this is in contrast to what I see in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, as I read that portion of scripture, there is a distinct sound that is in sharp contrast to the liturgies of our culture. They, they call me, these cultural liturgies call me to live without limits call for me to live in excess and self-gratification, to believe that I'm able to have whatever I can achieve or obtain. This passage of scripture reminds me that my actual needs are minimal. Huh. Food and clothing. I need something to fill my stomach and something to cover my skin. And as long as I have those things, I can live in contentment. And that's a critical word because that's the kingdom value that's the liturgy that's the affection that we're supposed to point our heart towards is contentment and when we live in contentment we find that the kingdom in its fullness can come to us more completely because we haven't filled up our life with dissatisfaction and the pursuit of the liturgies of the culture around us which is i can have whatever i want and that's exactly the reason that Jesus points us in this way and says that when you pursue the kingdom, when you pursue God and the righteousness of the kingdom, we're going to be filled and everything else will be taken care of. This is the kingdom target, contentment. It confronts capitalistic consumerism. Contentment says 
that I will change my target so my heart can love something other than things, or more appropriately, my heart can love someone else, God himself. As we finish this message, my encouragement to you is not to feel overwhelmed with condemnation, but to be open to Holy Spirit conviction. Is there a way in which you have engaged in the cultural liturgies of capitalistic consumerism that somehow you've pointed your affections on the things of this world and worshiped at the temples, believing that there are no limits to what you can have or what you can consume or what you can achieve? And somewhere in the midst of all that, contentment has been lost. I hope that in this message, there's an invitation for you and you hear it clearly, that there's this invitation to find contentment with just your basic needs met, a stomach full, clothes over your skin, a, a shelter to protect you from the elements and knowing that everything else you can find contentment in that. Everything else, you can address your affections and your attentions on the kingdom of God. And that's where you'll find the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment, and you'll find your greatest life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the invitation to not worship at the altars of this world, but to reorient our hearts towards our worship of you. And we pray that you would help us move off of, Lord, these, these cultural liturgies of pointing our heart towards loving things and, and finding safety and security and stuff. And, and Lord, positioning our life around the treasures here on earth. And instead, help us, Lord, to pursue your kingdom and your righteousness and to find great contentment, Lord, with just our basic needs met. And in doing so, Father, we'd find the life that we've truly hoped for and longed for. And we'd have much more time and attention to give to you and the things that matter most to you. We love you, Lord. And we want to pursue you in our life more than things. To your name be praise. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.